In 2013, Mehdi Ali fled his home country, where he was a member of a persecuted ethnic minority, and made his way to Australia. He was 15 years old, but while he was crammed onto an old wooden boat, enduring rough seas, terrifying storms, and harsh tropical sun, alongside other asylum seekers, the Australian government was making a series of deals that meant maritime arrivals would never be allowed to resettle in the country. After his boat was intercepted by the Australian Navy, Mehdi was taken to an offshore detention center. Since then, he has grown up in one of the most notorious immigration detention systems in the world. Only Australia's Minister for Immigration, Alex Hawke, or Minister for Home Affairs, Karen Andrews, could grant him a visa and end his imprisonment. During his time in detention, Mehdi has written many letters to the Minister for Immigration, but has never received a response. I'm Ray Jericho. On this week's AJ Longreads, a letter to Australia's immigration minister from a refugee, Mehdi writes to him again, as told by Zoe Osborne. To the minister, I have questions which no one is answering for me. When I asked the Department of Home Affairs, when I asked the Australian Border Force officers, when I asked the Circo guards who oversee the hotel where I am now detained, they tell me, well, we don't know. We've got no power. It's not up to us. We cannot answer these questions. Whatever I tell them, they say, your life is in the hands of the minister. No one can answer your questions except the minister. Well, I have never spoken to you, minister. But if you're going to read this, I have some questions for you. I'm not asking you to release me. I'm just asking you to answer. I came by myself to Australia when I was 15 years old and ask this country for safety. For almost nine years, I have been locked up in a cage without proper health care, education, or basic human rights, either in offshore or onshore processing centers. I spent the first nine months on Christmas Island, an Australian external territory located 1,550 kilometers northwest of the mainland. Then I spent about six years on Nauru, a tiny island nation to the northeast of Australia. It was a journey of trauma, tragedy, misery, and frustration. I witnessed terrible, terrible things. Children being detained, a man setting himself on fire, and so on. I was not treated like a human being, like a person. You treated me like I was dangerous. How could you take a child and lock him up for almost nine years with nothing? It feels bad. I couldn't get an education. It is a basic right for kids in any country. But I didn't get any education. All I got is suffering, diseases, mental health problems. There was no way of knowing when it would end. During the years in Nauru, there were rumors that people would be released. Some were. But all that ever gave me was false hope. Instead, I was assaulted by local people, by police officers, even by the Australian staff who used to work there. When my friend Omid self-immolated, he died two days later, after it took more than a day for him to be medically evacuated to Australia for specialist treatment. My cousin, who was also in Nauru, and I went to peacefully protest in front of the Menon Hotel, where Connect Settlement Services, a company providing welfare, employment, and education to refugees on the island at the time, was based. I was about 17 at the time. 
We sat there peacefully. The Australian staff came out and asked us to stop. They tried to talk to us, but we did not reply. Then after a while, the police came. They handcuffed us, took us to a cell and stripped us naked. They put a drunk and anxious local man in the cell with us and watched as he assaulted us. We didn't respond because we felt they wanted an excuse to charge us with something. Eventually, they released us. Several years later, when I was 21, I was brought to Australia under the Medevac Bill, which allowed for refugees in offshore detention to be transferred temporarily to Australia for medical treatment. That was more than two years ago now. I've been diagnosed with PTSD. I have anxiety attacks and trouble sleeping. I have insomnia, minister. I remember one time when I almost died of pneumothorax, a collapsed lung. I had been speaking to a friend on the phone, but suddenly couldn't breathe. I was taken to hospital. It was a rare condition and really dangerous. The medical students at the hospital would come to try to study my case. They would ask me questions. They don't know why it happened, but I think it is because of the stress I've endured because of the state of my mental health. I still have trouble breathing now. Minister, I have served my time in a cruel system, and I have tried to ask for justice. But there is no justice for me. No one is answering my questions. No one is telling me what is going on. I stopped thinking about getting out of here a long time ago, because to think about it tortures me. I live with uncertainty. I'm not talking about metaphysical uncertainty, but about the sort of reasonable certainties most people can take for granted. That they will wake up tomorrow and go to work. That they will stay in the same place. I don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. You might let me out. You might send me somewhere else. The staff might come into my room and take my belongings. Anything might happen. I just don't know. And it is absurd. This whole thing is absurd. Minister, the law in Australia says that children must only be detained for the shortest appropriate period of time. So why are you turning away from the law? I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm exhausted. I am exhausted. I've been held in the Brisbane Immigration Transit Accommodation and Fraser Compound. I've been held in Kangaroo Point Hotel. I've been held in Meriton Hotel. Then I came to Melbourne Immigration Transit Accommodation. And then they brought me to Park Hotel, Melbourne's notorious detention hotel. Now I've been in Park Hotel for a couple of months. They treated me worse than a criminal when they brought me, handcuffed, from Brisbane to Melbourne, even though I have never committed a crime. We are treated worse than criminals, because criminals get to have trials. They get sentenced for the crime they committed. I did nothing wrong, and yet I don't even know when I'm going to get out. Since I came to Park Hotel, several things have happened. There was a fire. Then you detained Novak Djokovic here, and the facility was surrounded by cameras. There were journalists wanting to speak to me. Since then, I've been busy with the media, giving interviews, writing, protesting. It is a method by which I 
try to survive. It is part of my resistance. I cannot stay quiet when someone is so cruel to me and I am not afraid of them anymore. I am in this one room all the time, watching these walls, and these walls are full of pain. I am surrounded by dozens of walls. All I have is a window to see what life is like outside of this room. It is a life I cannot have. I watch people. I see their freedom. All that is between me and that freedom is a piece of glass. I am in a cage. But I see a tree. I see people walking. I see cars. I see everything. Out there, there is life. And in here... It is hell. When I'm released, minister, I'm going to take a long walk, as far as I can. But no one will tell me when that will be. No one will tell me what my sentence is. No one will tell me when I'm going to get out of here. It is enough. It doesn't make sense anymore. You closed the borders. You protected the borders. You made this policy but it's been nine years. It's enough. Finish it. The majority of the asylum seekers who arrived by boat since July 2013 have been released. So, Minister, why is there still a handful left almost a decade on? As sacrifices? To make an example of them for the sake of policy and personal interests? I can't get any answers to these questions because no one is listening. Minister, if you have any sense of humanity, release me. Release us. Let us go. From a desperate young man who lost his childhood in detention. As told to Zoe Osborne. Thank you for listening to this week's AJ Longreads, a letter to Australia's immigration minister from a refugee, Mehdi Ali. I'm Ray Jericho. Please subscribe to AJ Longreads wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I am here to tell the story so you know how I survived. Ever wonder what history's most famous and infamous people would say if you asked them for their side of the story? This is your little playmate. I mean your bitter enemy, Orphan Anne. Well, this is it. I'm Charles Dance, and you're listening to a new season of Hindsight, a dramatized podcast that resurrects some of the world's most memorable figures by recreating their past. I will be nominated as the first and only female Prime Minister of India. In season three, we take you on a journey to the minds of unforgettable leaders. Knock them out, and you'll win. Methods of a dictator. Namor! is leader of the revolution until the end of time. Ingenious inventors. Science takes time. Time and patience and determination. Loyal citizens caught between two worlds. I curse the day I ever got on that ship. These are the stories of their lives, based on documented events and their own words. I am not worried about dying. You've heard of them. I will die as a martyr. But now it's time you hear from them. The one, an original Tokyo Rose. People knew me as Marie Curie. Idi Amin Dada, man of wood. Hindsight from Al Jazeera. Subscribe now 
wherever you get your podcasts.